0: Everybody, this is Vernon Oaks, and welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, we have it's a great day, and it's a great day because we have a new person to the Community Purchasing Alliance, Miss Amy Abbott. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, Vernon.
0: And how are you this morning?
1: I am doing splendidly and yourself? Great, really great.
0: <laughs> and how long have you been with Community Purchasing Alliance?
1: I have been working uh, with a Community Purchasing Alliance since last August and actually um, started out doing some part-time work and was hired full-time in November.
0: Okay. Well, maybe that's because I hadn't heard from you before because it's relatively new. You're relatively new to the state. That's city. Okay. So I think I want to start off by asking you a little bit about the history of Community Purchasing Alliance and what do you all do there?
1: Sure. When talking to people, I'm trying to explain first what a co-op is and what I do there. You know, I have to ask for some patience as I tell this story. It started in 2011 when a group of churches in Washington, D.C. were really struggling. After the recession, um, some of the donations were down, and one even commented that they paid more on their electricity bill than they did for their pastor's salary, and so It came about the first group purchase of electricity with 12 churches, and they ended up saving $100,000 on their utility
0: bills. I got to go back. I got to make sure that I understand what you said that this one church was paying more for electricity than they were paying their pastor. That is right. (laughs) Okay, so we got to do something about this. I got it. All right.
1: So we got to do something about it. And when that first group purchase happened, and these 12 congregations realized the power that they had together that they would not have had alone, they, they thought, we might have something here. Like, what other areas could we try this out? And that was the birth of the Community Purchasing Alliance. Um, we sort of formally became a co-op in 2014 with one staff person, and we essentially listened to our member owners. So our, our members in the D.C. metro region are schools, uh, houses of worship, and nonprofits. And they're the ones that tell us what they what their pain points are, what they're struggling with. And so we have developed these programs, too, by listening to their needs. And so we now do group purchasing around waste hauling. Well, before you editorial go there. Service. Yep.
0: Before you go there, Amy, you're, you're <laughs> moving quickly. I mean, I want to go back I to it. I know. So, One church looked up paying more money for for electricity than they were paying for their pastor and said, we got to do something Mm -hmm. about it. So then 12 churches got together, so they started talking, and they found out that they could talk together. Twelve people could talk better to the utility, Pepco or whomever else it was, than any one church could. And so by yeah, talking they were, together, By
1: bundling their utilities together, they were much more attractive to a third party supplier that could offer them a much better rate than Pepco.
0: Oh, so they didn't even go to Pepco. They went to a whole third Mm-mm. party. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. And then who was that one employee that they started with? Was that Felipe?
1: That's Felipe Witcher. Yep. The okay. founder of the Community Purchasing Alliance.
0: Okay, so they started with Felipe, one person, and how many people do you have there working now?
1: So now there are five of us, and one to five
0: in five years.
1: Yeah, yep. (laughs) Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So. And Vernon,
1: and we're excited to be on your show today because we we want to grow even further. So later, I'd love to talk about the opportunities we have here at CPA. Okay,
0: we'll do that. I'll. Make a note, we're going to talk about growth and opportunities. So you have one employee, 12 churches, and you talked about a co-op, and you formed a Mm co-op in 2014. So I want to go back to this co-op to make sure people understand what a co-op is. Our regular listeners will know, but just in case there's Mm -hmm. a few people that have come on that don't know a co-op, can you explain what a co-op is? Sure.
1: So the co-op is owned by our members, so the you know synagogue, the mosque, the charter school, the nonprofit—they are actually members and owners of the co-op. They direct the co-op and they also receive benefits through the form of dividends that they get at the end of the year. And I think when we were you know incorporating, there were a couple of different business models, and the co-op was one that was considered, and we thought that. It most aligned with the social purpose of what our members wanted, and also is aligned with the economic and environmental um, justice that CPA seeks. And yeah, so we are now 75 member owners in the DC region um, who purchase through, who do group purchasing through the Community Purchasing Alliance and then receive dividends at the end of the year. They also direct our board of directors and they
0: set the strategic planning for our organization. Okay. So they looked at it in the beginning. That was before you mm-hmm. came on board. You've only been there not quite a year yet. So before you came right. on, there were some folks, 12 churches, and maybe Felipe by then, and they were looking at what to do. Somebody decided mm-hmm. co-op. And yep. I want to get the mission. You said it, it fit the social purpose of the members. What is that purpose of the co-op, that social purpose? Thank you,
1: Pat. Well, so what's really important to our members is worker equity, environmental sustainability, job creation, and racial equity. And to that end, 60% of our profits as a co-op, we actually reinvest in community organizing in the D.C. metro region.
0: 60%
1: Um, of what? 60% of? 60% of our profits. As a co-op, go to community organizing, and then 40% are returned to the members in the form of dividends.
0: Who would decide to give away 60% of their profit? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Institutions that care about their community and are interested in building power to change their communities for the better.
0: 60% of what you make goes to community organizing.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: And you talked about worker equity, environmental something, and two more sustainability. things. Some, mm-hmm. some environmental sustainability. And the two other things? It's something about...
1: Job creation.
0: Job creation, okay.
1: Yeah, we are, we're part of this um, sort of new economy movement where we are interested in creating new vehicles for wealth generation, for people who may not have had access to it in the past, and to that end also racial equity was the fourth thing that
0: I mentioned. Okay, so you are a company formed out of need, out of this. Yes. We're paying a lot of money for electricity. And Mm -hmm. so out of this concern, these 12 houses of worship, I like the way you said it because I normally would say churches, but houses of worship formed together and went to another electric supplier besides Pepco and got their rates a lot, lot lower and by working mm-hmm. together as a group 12 of them buying a lot more electricity than any one then they had more negotiating power to get to, to drive the price down That's right. That's kind of it? Yes. And then you all those 12 came together and now you're up to 75 but somewhere in that 5 years probably in the beginning you talked about social purpose of your or uh, what you then called community purchasing alliance mm-hmm. worker equity environmental sustainability, job creation, and racial equity. Y'all sound crazy, man. I mean, you're supposed to get together and make money so y'all can get more money. I mean, what are you talking about? You want racial equity. You want to build wealth. Yeah. And I started to say, when you said build wealth, I started to say, Amy, well, that's what most businesses are for, for building wealth. And yeah. then you said to people that normally don't get wealth.
1: <laughs> that's right. Okay. We truly believe that we can do both and we believe that we can build a wealth generating vehicle while also making sure that you know that we are including people who are normally left off like when you create a business it's usually the owner that profits you know because they're the ones taking the risk so it makes sense that they get the reward we imagine a world that both workers and owners you know, are able to benefit and share in the risk and reward. And our organizations care about strengthening community institutions, and that means caring about the people who live in the community.
0: Well, I don't know if you know it, but what I heard, and you talking about this, was the seven principles and the yeah. values of honesty, openness, yeah. social responsibility, and that's giving away 60% of what you make, and caring for mm-hmm. one another, and that's all this... Racial equity and worker Mm -hmm. equity and job creation, that's all about caring for people, caring for folks.
1: That's right.
0: All right. Well, you've only been in this less than a year, and you got a real grasp of why. How did you, or what's your background that would cause you to be into a co-op? Have you been working for co-ops before, or what's the background that would draw you to this kind of a company?
1: Well, Vernon, before CPA, I was a community organizer. So I feel like I already had this, you know, sense of, I'll share a quick story of, I was working um, in nonprofit for many years. And my last position, I was running a facility for homeless women and children in Prince William County, Virginia. And I knew that our program was helping the 12 families that were living there. And it was a wonderful program very supportive, beautiful ministry. But we would get hundreds of phone calls from people that we couldn't help. And it was around the time that I met a community organizer, and he said to me, you know, Amy, the work that you're doing is so important, and we are called to do it. We have to do it. That we have to pull people who are drowning out of the river. He said, but eventually, we have to go upstream and figure out who's throwing them in in the first place. Wow. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. How do I do that? You know? Um. And so he talked to me about community organizing, about changing things systemically. And so, yeah, I spent four years as a community organizer in Northern Virginia um, Amy, working. Ho-
0: ho- yeah. hold ho one second. We are going to have to take our first break, and I really want to okay. come back and talk about this. 12 families, sure. homeless, and hundreds of people calling. You can't help them. And you wanna pull people out of the river of despair. I'm gonna go back and get that quote. Mm. Okay. okay. And then who's throwing them in the river? We'll be right back. We're gonna take our first break. Please don't touch that dial. And we have Amy Abbott on the line with us this morning. She's the director of the Community Purchasing Alliance in the Washington Metropolitan Area. And we were talking about her working at a homeless uh, shelter for families. And she could deal with, work with 12 families, but she had hundreds of people working with her. And Amy, I want to tell you a quote of a lady that was on the show. She was the president of the International Cooperative Alliance. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge organization. Her name is Dame Pauline Green. She said that co-ops brings people out of poverty with dignity,
1: mm-hmm. and I think that's mm-hmm. what you
0: you were talking about. Of, and I want to get this quote because I want to <laughs> I want to quote you online from here on out. You want to pull people out of the river? What, what did you say?
1: So, in the short term, we're called to pull people who are drowning out of the river. You know, it's the right thing to do. We have to help people here and now who need us. But eventually, we also have to go upstream and figure out who's throwing them in the river in the first place.
0: See, what I like about that in a whole lot of different ways is that too often our society, and I I would want to say the one percenters, but somebody will say that those people in poverty, is because of their own laziness, and mm-hmm. ineptness, blah, 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 blah. It's their fault mm-hmm. that they're in poverty. And I have had it, and the more I learn, it's more like what your friend was telling you. If somebody's throwing them in the river and then keep them oh, in. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we use the analogy often about a, a moving walkway, like when you're at the airport and... There's this moving walkway, right? And you don't think about it, you just hop on and it just takes you. It just moves you to, from point A to point B. Well, that walkway is our current system. It's the current racist system um, that has denied people the ability to prosper and generate wealth for generations. And so it's not enough to just say, well, I'm not, you know, I didn't build the moving walkway, I'm just standing here. Well, you're moving on it. Against it, that's really hard to do. You know, we actually think let's just you know smash that. We're going to build our own
0: walkway. So the current economic system walkway, if you will, the current mm-hmm. way that things happen in our capitalistic societies is I have some people are on the walkway mm-hmm. and they go from station to station, and it's almost like they put their hand out and they get wealth from station to station that they go, and eventually they yeah. end up on the plane of. Of wealth, of richness, mm-hmm. of, and this inequality that we are seeing happen bigger and bigger, not only in the U.S., but around the world, okay. is that these people are on these stations and they catch or capture all of this money. But if you're not on it, it's almost impossible to get on it. And it seems okay. like to me, Amy, and you have been in this, I'm only looking at it, I've not studied it, but it seems like those people that are not on the walkway. The folks that are on the walkway are always taken from them. They don't want them to get on the walkway because the more people on the walkway may cause it to slow down, or they won't get as much. Okay, mm-hmm. and so the people that are not on the walkway, they don't get the education or they don't get the opportunities. And then the folks that are on it can, you know, put their put their finger out and say that you know you haven't done something right and you haven't done this right. But they're always taken from, always getting more of, and they don't want them to get on the walkway because then they have to share it. And they're concerned that they may take over.
1: I think people in power are afraid um, because they think if I give you some power, I have less power, right? But (laughs) the thing about it is what I believe in this collective power is that, no, if, if we actually share power, it does more good for everyone. And, you know, and I've seen that. But I also know that in the world that we currently live in, um... You have to build power. You, it's not going to be given to you um, out of some altruistic desire, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I do want to say about that moving walkway and shifting it. You know, just this past year, I, I wanted to bring up our impact statement from 2018. So we you talking about Community
0: a- Purchasing Alliance impact yes. statement? Yep. Okay. Go for it. And Let's we go.
1: facilitated mm. procurement and group purchasing on behalf of 110 houses of worship, nonprofits, and schools on nearly 17 million dollars in annual contracts, and we helped them save more than 1.5 million on those contracts. But more importantly, to us, we shifted 57 percent or 90 sorry 9.6 million of contract spending to women-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses. And we want to continue
0: that trend. Okay. So when you talk about uh, shifting that business, you're taking it from perhaps majority-owned, that's white males mostly, Mm -hmm. to women-owned and minority-owned businesses, or those also businesses that pay a living wage.
1: That's right. So that's actually really important to our members. When we do bidding, we ask, you know, questions like what is the average pay um, for the lowest paid employee? What is your turnover rate? You know, questions that really lead us to understand how they treat their workers. And we have, you know, organizations that don't go with the lowest bid. You know, they want to know and they care about these things. They know that if the workers are being paid fairly, not only is that the right thing, but they're going to be better employees.
0: And better employees mean that they do better quality work and you get better quality service from them. And it it all sort of circles that's win, 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 even though you may pay more, but you Mm -hmm. would get better longer term. And okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: I think our co-op helps these organizations lean into the values that they have. So whether it's a school or a house of worship or a nonprofit, This is one area that maybe, you know, they don't have a procurement director in some of these areas. And so CPA helps them by vetting vendors and helping them lean into their values. And, you know, it's also local businesses. We have people that really would prefer the the money go to and stay in their community. And so even if a local business is more expensive than a national company, we have members that choose to go with that local business.
0: So in your bidding, in your procurement process, money—how much you pay—is only one of the variables, and that's it's right. probably not the most important, as I hear you talk. Yeah, that's right. And who decides all of this?
1: <laughs> the members. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so just real quick, everybody out there, co-ops are businesses that are owned and controlled. Well the type of co-op depends on who owns and controls that particular business. So just real quickly, there are basically four types, four major types. And that's if the if the company is owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker cooperative. If it's owned and controlled by the people that use the products or services, it's called a consumer cooperative. It can be owned and controlled, it's a purchasing co-op where they purchase things for the members. And those members could be other businesses or it could be individuals. A lot of times there are businesses that come together to buy things in bulk as these house of worships did in CPA. And they get a better quality, a lot of times a better quality product and they get um, at a lower price. But the other thing that Amy is telling us, because they don't have a purchasing office, they, CPA ends up being their vendor that helps them to get what they want and put their values into place. And then the other okay. side of it, I think of farmers in particular, they have a purchasing co op to help them buy their seed and products to help them to produce their food or their chickens or eggs or whatever they're producing. And then they'll have a marketing co-op to help them to sell that product because the farmer c- cannot wear all of those hats. And that's why farming is so, so, so risky of, of a business. Mm. They have all of this work mm. you have to do. So they've come up together and they've got purchasing co-ops to help them and those businesses. And one of the things I like about CPA, I bought my copier machine through CPA. And what I liked about it, they had created a contract that was in my benefit, but the, Company didn't give me that contract at first. They gave me their normal contract, and I went down. I must have had eight things. I'm going, no, this is not good. Well, let's look at this. Oh, he said, and he I said, well, look, I've given you the wrong contract. And he <laughs> gave when he gave me the contract that CPA had worked out, all of those eight things had already been worked out. And it was kind of like right. I had talked to them first, which I had not. Other people. It's so sort of like, what's the contract that's best for the member, not what's best necessarily for that supplier, it's not bad for them, but it don't give them all of the all of the goodies. So, you, and so the farmer will purchase stuff, then they'll use that stuff to produce whatever they're going to produce, and then they'll have a marketing co-op to help them to sell it. And Ocean Spray is a group uh, that a lot of people know that don't know Organic Valley. There's a lot of purchasing. Uh, Cabot Creamery is one, and, and mm-hmm. Cabot cheese, a lot of people know about. So those are. Owned and controlled by the farmers, 900 farmers, 90,000 farmers, a lot of farmers come together and they work in this. And they'll send their milk or their cranberries to their own purchasing co-op, producing co-op that, that uh, makes the cranberry juice or gives us our cheese or mud, butter and so forth. Okay, so that's a quick history of the different types. Mm-hmm. And CPA is a purchasing cooperative. That's right. Okay. And that's the reason I wanted to get at to give people an idea of what kind of co-op you are and why. And all of the different benefits is phenomenal. And you've been able to only been. So did you know about co-ops before you took doing this job? Not really. I
1: mean, I'm a member
0: of REI, you know. OK, I'll, I'll be right back. and We'll talk about that. we got go okay. to go to a second break. We'll be right back. D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 W. Welcome back, everybody. You know, the National Cooperative Bank uh, is a sponsor. They sponsored us for the five and a half years we've been on air. And NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And it's amazing how a bank uh, who most banks will look at, what kind of collateral do you have? Because the only thing the banks are really concerned about, well, they're concerned about three things, getting their money back one, getting their money back two, and getting their money back three. And so they normally will will loan money to people that already have assets so that if the the loan fails, they can go get their money back. Well, NCB will loan money to folks in low-income communities that may not have this collateral, which normally don't, Mm For all the reasons that Amy and I have been talking about, the head of house women head of households is seven dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I was just so taken aback because the average income of oh, I don't have these numbers, I should not say, but in, in sort of this kind of sense of black families was two thousand five hundred dollars, of Latino families of three thousand dollars, and the white families it was in the thousands, hundred thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. the average yeah. number. And so it's like. I'll get these numbers so I can have them at my fingertip. But it's so out of proportion in the 0- yep. 7 08, that a lot of minority families in low-income communities that had built up wealth was mainly in their homes. And that was mm-hmm. wiped out. So blacks lost yep. lost a lot of wealth during that downturn, and that's what happens too often. They can't build up the wealth, and then when something goes bad, then we lose the wealth. So, your organization and other co-ops, and the reason I have become to love co-ops, is the only way I know that we can build up wealth by coming together solidly, solidarily, build up wealth, and then use that wealth and decide how to use it to help the community. And you've mm-hmm. so explained that so well. I hope Felipe is happy, and um, I know Paul Hazen was also one of the first founders and he's been on the yes, show to very influential
1: in, in getting CPA to become a cooperative, actually.
0: I can, I can see that with Paul. Paul is so <laughs> unassuming. He's so quiet. Yes. He's so powerful. <laughs> he's amazing.
1: And as I mentioned, Vernon, we're, we're looking for people to join our team.
0: Are you? So
1: tell us a little bit about
0: that for anybody out there that might sure. be looking for an opportunity. They may maybe already have a job, but you want to go to a company in an organization that's really trying to help the community and, and people with those four right. social goals.
1: So as we look toward the future, we look at both strengthening and expanding our DC Metro region co-op, um, along with expanding to different regions in the United States. So we're really looking to hear from people, you know, if you identify with, with some of these sentiments and statements, you know, that you have created or played a critical role in growing in organization from a startup or from small to really impactful, if you have any kind of technical business consulting mindset, or you have expertise in an area, you know, that would make it really beneficial to our members. I think um, I started to talk about earlier, our current program areas are waste hauling, janitorial services, security, solar, electricity, copiers. Thank you, Vernon, for purchasing your copier through CPA. Um, Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) And HVAC. And so we're looking for people. If you have expertise in some of these areas, you know, we'd like to hear from you. If you believe in this work, in the co-op movement and democracy, small D democracy as a vehicle to build power and make significant change, we'd like to hear from you. We, you know, have a couple of different opportunities. One that is called an entrepreneur in residence. A lot of people come to the co-op as a consultant or a contractor and then you know, they're able to see if this is the right fit for them, if they can operate in the sort of flexible, remote, agile team that we are, and before being brought on as a full-time director. So we're actually looking for about three or four people for these entrepreneurs and residents positions, part-time work at first that could lead to a full-time position. And really, we can't create the job description until we meet you. It's exciting uh, that you would actually tell us and bring your natural gifts and talents to this work and tell us how you think we could expand our co-op.
0: It is in those areas you're already working on or in other areas?
1: It could be in the areas we currently work if they want to help us think about how to innovate and be more creative in one of those program areas, but it could also be one that we haven't listed.
0: But the other thing I've heard Paul and Felipe talk about is you sort of got started In D.C. and in the metropolitan area, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Mm -hmm. And now you want to go out nationally. Yes. And so would you be looking for somebody to help spread this out to particular other cities maybe to do the same kind of things?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. We are hoping, what we're thinking about is we need a few years to incubate a a new co-op. Right, we need someone on the ground that's building relationships and and connecting people and really planting the seeds of the principles. And then, you know, we wanna plant those seeds in a couple of different regions. And then, you know, obviously there's business modeling that needs to take place because every region will be different. We don't expect that we can just replicate the DC area co op. We think that each region is gonna struggle with different pain points, and we'd like to teach, you know, new entrepreneurs how
0: they can respond to those distinct and individual needs. Okay. So there's, you just sort of outlined, there's plenty of opportunity to grow horizontally, yep. vertically, sideways, upside down, everything mm-hmm. can grow. And uh, so if there's anybody out there that would want to look at or talk to, it would, would it be you, Amy, in the organization that they would talk to? Sure. So yeah, and
1: they can actually, we have on our website, which is, www.cpa.coop. We have a, another uh, video webinar that's coming up to explain more about CPA and also the career opportunities with us. And the next one is actually on May 30th at noon. And you can RSVP on our website.
0: Okay. So one way is going to the web page, website, mm-hmm. cpa.coop, CPA being Community Purchasing Alliance dot co-op cpa dot co-op and where would they go once they come to cpa i got i'm i just went on at our offerings our mm-hmm. community about blog news and press join us
1: you uh, would click on careers
0: i don't see careers
1: so there's also a banner at the top of the page that says cpa co-op is hiring you see that nope <laughs> nope hmm
0: Okay. I think we'll 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 find that. Okay. So it's got our offering, our community, and about. But you can you go to what? cpa.coop to get more about understanding of CPA. And if that banner isn't there, I assume it's going to be there soon.
1: <laughs> and they can also email me. My email address is Amy at CPA
0: dot Okay. So you can go to Amy at CPA dot coop and send her information. It looks like coop, yeah. Yep. Okay. I was so engrossed in your your story about CPA and your story and looking at the people here, the leadership team, the board of directors, and the advisors. That's a nice group. I've had a lot of these mm-hmm. people on the on the show here. So what are you doing now in your job? It sounds like you are, well, what is your job as director in the NCPA? Sure.
1: So we are a leadership team that is responsible for the operations of our D.C. area co-op. And so all of our directors sort of own one program area that they are in charge of, again, um, growing and innovating and responsible for the vendor relationships and also member relationships that participate in those program areas. And so right now, I'm focusing on waste hauling. And the waste industry has changed so significantly, even in the last you know six to nine months. And part of it is because China and India are no longer accepting our plastic and some of our recyclables. And so it's kind of sent the recycling market into into chaos. And that U.S. companies, um, the U.S. isn't exactly prepared right now to handle that overflow of recyclables. And so I'm learning a lot about the cost of waste hauling. I feel really strongly about what happens to trash, in part because where I grew up in rural Ohio, down my favorite country road that I used to ride down with the windows down and smelling like, freshly cut grass and cornfields as far as the eye could see, there is now a landfill that is just this trash mountain disrupting that rural country road. And, you know, we were powerless to stop that from happening. And it wasn't even trash coming from Ohio, it was coming into New York City. And I think a lot about where our trash ends up and who ends up near it. And so this is an area that I'm, you know, really interested both in helping institutions think more about their waste, waste reduction, composting, and also recycling.
0: Well, you're interested in where trash ends up and who ends up near the trash. <laughs> I wanna can you talk a little bit more about who ends up near the trash?
1: Sure. So, I mean, to put it bluntly, it's it's usually in poor communities and uh, communities of color. And we see this when, you know, I was working on coal ash, which is a byproduct of coal producing power plants. And there's been a lot of concern about coal ash that is simply dumped, you know, in these ponds across our region. And the conversation around how to remove it safely, how to cap it in place. You know, if, it, if it's going to be trucked out, if it's going to be on trains, if it's going to be on boats, how are you going to move it? But really, the other question is, where are you moving it to? And a lot of times we see that it's being moved to rural communities from, you know, larger cities. And it's, and it's people of color and it's uh, lower income communities that this coal ash is being moved to. So I'm that's something of deep interest to me is helping people think about where their waste ends up because it's, it's frankly kind of scary to think about. I don't know if you saw the movie WALL-E, Vernon, but like that's one of my nightmares is that we're just going to, you know, become a, a plastic trash planet, like the plastic Island that's floating the size of Texas in our ocean. Um, so w- yeah, I think a lot of wall Wally was W-A-L-L-E. Okay. It was an animated kids movie.
0: <laughs> okay. No, I didn't and see it. It's essentially
1: about how the how people ruin the planet and have to move to space while they leave robots on Earth to clean up the plastic and the the trash while they're gone. Well,
0: we'll think about that as we take our final break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And it's ugly. Okay, we'll be right back. Thanks. The AMWOL 9519F. Information is power, and that's why WOL is a great partner for this show. But you know, it isn't information that you get the power. And Amy Abbott, who was our guest today, talked about power early on. It is when you get the information and put it into action. you got to get the action in order to get the power out of the information get information out of the knowledge. And co-op's fifth principle is knowledge information, and I sh- and perhaps knowledge information and power, knowledge information training, that a co-op is about informing and training the members, the vendors, and the whole community about the issues. And what issue we were talking about was waste, uh, what happens to the waste and who ends up with it. And you said, to be honest, it ends up in poor communities and communities of people of color. And that is absolutely right. I've got some strong feelings about that, too, Amy. You look at the coal ash, and they were talking about this in North Carolina, um, Duke Energy as an example. And uh, people of color, they can't fight it because they don't have power. They're not together. They're not organized. So they don't have power to fight it. And so stuff gets dumped in their community. And then you start seeing cancer and all of these lung diseases and stuff happening to their children and particular children and older folk. And they don't seem to know why, what causes it until they find out it's the cold ash that's in the water, okay? Mm-hmm. And so you look at the whole quality of life issues and people dying before their time. Okay, so not only could they not get on that that rolling stair step at sidewalk you were talking about, but they die earlier and they just don't have any opportunities. And it's like that they get really got thrown into the deep water. Yeah. Okay. We can go back to that. It and was it, a I was thinking about yeah. this during the break and it's an awful view.
1: Inbert and Vernon, I wondered if I could take a minute to talk about the power that you were just talking sure. about. Sure. And you know, in our view, power is the ability to make change. It's the ability to act. And You know, it comes in these two forms of organized people and organized money. And something that happened in December really highlighted for me the power of the co-op. And it happened when one member of CPA sent a quick note to my team member, Boris, who leads our electricity work. And the member said, hey, our electricity bill has just shot through the roof. And, you know, we signed this fixed rate contract. What's going on? And so... You know, as my colleague looked at this bill, he asked other members of the co-op who were on the same, you know, provider, the same supplier, to send them their bills. And so, you know, Boris analyzed around 500 bills and realized that it was not just this one school, it it actually affected all 31 CPA members who had signed a contract with the supplier. And they were passing through more of a charge than they should have been. And the only reason we knew this was because we had so many members who trusted us, who were part of this co-op, that we unearthed this practice. And we were actually able to go straight to the decision makers, at the supplier, and negotiate with them directly. And in the end, we got $45,000 of reimbursement for our members for the overbilling that they experienced. And this is something that none of them would have done, could have done on their own, and it was only through the membership in the co-op being able to pool their resources, we were able to consult with lawyers, you know, that they were able to recoup and recover some of their money that they had been overbilled. So it just was a really strong example to me of the purpose and the power that we have collectively that we would not have on our own.
0: Well, I have found that sometimes the bigger the business, the more... They would do things, I started to say unscrupulously, but I just won't go that far with <laughs> it, but that's what I feel. But they will charge things that they should not be charging. And then for an individual consumer to get them to change is almost impossible. Okay. Uh, and I've been there, so that's what I'm talking about. Now, I'm a property manager. My day job, so I manage uh, buildings, communities, and mm-hmm. it is... It's not unusual for the water bill, the electric bill, the gas bill to be higher than what it ought to be. And to get them to change their mind on it, you have to go through a lot of, uh, and I'm just sitting here thinking, maybe it would be great if we had all of our members be a part of CPA so as a group we could go and negotiate with them. Because individually, even when I'm representing 14 communities, to have the power Mm -hmm. to fight them when they overcharge. And they will overcharge. That's no question. Okay, mm-hmm. so we only have a few minutes left. I wanted to talk more about this growth thing. Um, yeah. So do you have any particular areas that CPA said we want to grow in? I'm talking about new areas. Yeah, new areas
1: or new regions, new program areas?
0: Let's talk about it all.
1: Okay. Well, I, I, we, just to I let you know, I was that, talking
0: about new program offerings, but okay. new areas sure. in terms of geography, that's fine nationally or internationally. <laughs> okay.
1: So we are often presented, you know, again, Vern and I mentioned that our program areas come about from listening to our members. They tell us what they're struggling with, and then we try to, you know, really dive into that area to, to help them. And so... We, are, we need to grow we need to add capacity because right now our members have told us there are areas that they want to invest in and grow and we don't have the staff to do it and so some of those areas you know we want to um, develop an HVAC program um, we've, we've done some work in HVAC we'd like to do more um, same thing with facilities maintenance that's a huge pain point for our you know houses of worship that are 50 60 100 years old and caring for those buildings. We also know real estate and repurposing, you know, some of the houses of worship and them thinking about their next, you know, 50 years and what they want to be doing in the community and so how to use that space. Also accounting and finance, which is a huge piece for our charter schools that are members. And you know, thinking about maybe developing something around that. So those are, you know, just a few areas that we would like to dive into
0: with the right people. So HVAC for people out there that don't know is heating, ventilation and air conditioning. Yes. Yeah, thank and, you. And that is huge. And then property, I'm in mean, property management is huge because you're either heating up air or are you cooling down air? There's very few times in a year, particularly in the, here in the DC area, where you're not doing one of those two things. That's right. So <laughs> exactly. the, the more air space you have in a church and a school, the more air you have to heat up or cool down. And that can get to be very expensive. Mm-hmm. And those things break. <laughs>
1: okay. Oh, yes. They break. <laughs> and then when they break, the question is whose fault is it that they're broken? You know, and what kind of maintenance contract do you have? And who was your building engineer? Who was the architect? Was it the supplier, the vendor that actually installed the unit? Most places can't afford to do a complete replacement, so they're they're cobbling together systems, right? Um, So it's a very complex and difficult piece of an expensive puzzle for our members.
0: So most of the members do not have enough savings just to – and we call it replacement reserves to re- replace okay. things when they mess up. I mean, it could be mm-hmm. it's no fault except that it wore out. Okay. Uh, when it wears out after thirty, for twenty, thirty, forty years, then it's a big ticket item. And yeah. how do you replace this big ticket item? And so I've known organizations, nonprofits particularly, that you know, put bubble gum and coat hangers to try to keep it going. And it works for a while. (laughs) It's amazing; it works. (laughs) But who do you have that can even get it to work? And it always it breaks down too often. So, yeah, it's a major, 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 major issue. And it takes somebody with knowledge to understand HVAC systems and engineering and so forth to create preventive maintenance and to fix it when they break. Okay, to help
1: you organizations and, you know, we want them to be able to focus on their mission of educating, you know, children of, you know, serving the community with all of the social programs that they offer. You know, we don't want them to have to worry about their facilities and think of it as a huge burden. You know, we would like, CPA would like to help lift that burden. When I was Working in nonprofit, one of my first days at my new job um, at this facility, there was a sewage explosion. There was just raw sewage coming into the basement through our laundry machine. And I think about myself now, and I wish that I had known about CPA. There was a CPA that could have helped me figure out okay, who's the right plumber? Who can I call? Who can I trust? You know, how do I clean up this raw sewage um, and prevent this from happening again? So we would like
0: to be that for people. That's awesome. If you, that is, that's so helpful because that's, that's big. And also these co-op housing, uh, I want to give a shout out to Anita Bonds, council member Anita Bonds for creating a limited equity housing cooperative. It's, it's a limited equity cooperative task force to look at it. And this preventive maintenance and taking care of the facilities is a big, big issue, particularly mm-hmm. for people that don't have a lot of money, low income communities. And how do you do it and Mm -hmm. do it responsibly so that they can have good housing or good schools or good houses of worship and do the things that they need to do raise a family, Mm -hmm. get educated, and and figure out what their values are and go ahead and implement those values? You do good work, lady. Thank you,
1: Vernon.
0: I am so glad that you came on the show this morning to talk about you and your history and what you all are doing. In the last minute, what would you like to leave people with?
1: I would like to tell you that Ramble Memorial United Methodist Church in D.C. was able to get their entire roof replaced at no cost to the church and were able to put solar panels on their roof um, and will get yearly and monthly savings from those solar panels uh,
0: because of working with CPA and we're so grateful to them and all of the good that they do in their neighborhood and so that's why we're doing this work. So if you want to reduce your costs and create have more benefits please look up cpa cooperative. and Amy thank you so very much and everybody out there please have a wonderful week and live cooperatively. Thank you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM WOL at 95.9 FM.